Um, I'm one of those true nerds. Um, let you know my, my favorite superheroes, um, I think Marvel has done actually a great job of developing superheroes um, during all their movie franchises. Uh, my favorites, uh, Doctor Strange. Here's a guy who's like super brilliant, had to be humbled through a car accident and kind of learned to come to the end of them himself. Um, I've always liked uh, Spider-Man, kind of like as a teenager, that's like every teenager's dream to like wake up one day and you have superpowers. Uh, Leah kind of just um, broke Spider-Man for me though, because it's just random. Like what if like an old lady behind him had been bit by the bug instead of him? It'd be like Spider-Nana <laughs> instead of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, like she'd be like, boom, there's a Werther's, boom, <laughs> Werther's. She'd be like... <laughs> She'd be spinning Afghans, you know. <laughs> so Leah officially ruined Spider-Man for me. But my favorite during this Marvel franchise has been Tony Stark. Uh, I think they've done a great job of just, you know, here's this guy who's a billionaire. He had everything and kind of had to learn to grow conscience. And you kind of see him through, through the whole set of movies kind of having to learn to be broken and, and finally learn to be uh, sacrificial. And what I love about just Iron Man is just, you know, the way the first movie ends with him saying, I am Iron Man, and kind of starts out the Marvel series, and then kind of how it ends. His last words are, oh. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, we're kind of getting into that territory. If you haven't seen it yet, that's kind of on you. So I won't. <laughs> I, it's coming out on, D, it's on DVD. Like, that's kind of, so I won't ruin it for you. Anyway, <laughs> but where we are in, in the story with Jacob is, to this point, Jacob's not really a hero. Um, he's kind of meandered through life. He's made a lot of mistakes, and we see more of God at work than anything that Jacob has done. Well, today is kind of the turn. This is the kind of what happens is his origin story. This is how he turns into a true man of faith um, and a legacy that impacts his kids it impacts um, the nation, and actually it's a legacy that continues on with us. And so this is kind of the turn for Jacob where he becomes kind of a superhero. But before we dive into the Word, I just want to stop and pray, and then we, we can dive into it. Father God, thank you for the story of Jacob. Um, it is a true story of humanity, someone who is very imperfect, and his family was imperfect, and there's a lot of things that happened that were wrong. But because of you, um, there's redemption. And there's things that you want us to struggle with in our humanity and in our brokenness that when we do, we come to a conclusion where our faith is strengthened and, and you show up. So thank you for the story of Jacob. There's, if there's words that you want me to say, help me to say them and for them to land well. If there's things that shouldn't have been said, help people to forget about those things and to hear from your spirit. Your son's name, amen. All right, so here we, where we are in the story of Jacob. First of all, again, just a reminder, Jacob was given the name Jacob as deceiver. And so far, he's really lived up to his name. Um, his whole life has been about manipulation. It's been about deceit. Um, it's been about trying to be essentially a con man. Uh, so multiple times, he has tried to get the blessing that God said he was going to get through manipulation. He's manipulated his brother. He's manipulated his dad. He's manipulated the situation. He tries to outwit Laban, and his life is just marked by living up to his name. His family is dysfunctional. Um, he's kind of lost. He, he, he's, he's just not really following what God wants him to do. But there's hope. 
God intervenes and steers Jacob back towards the blessing. And where we landed in this, this story right now is he figured things out with Laban. There was some form of reconciliation, but he has to head back home. But a big problem with our sins is eventually they catch up to us, especially the consequences of those sins. The consequence of his sin and his, his relationship with Esau is right in front of him. He has to home, and he knows that Esau is still angry with him. So here we are in Genesis 32, and it says this. Now as Jacob went on his way, he's heading back home, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanim, which means two camps. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants that I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. All right, so here's what we have. He, God has said to Jacob, head back home. And Jacob's like, hey, this is great. I'm going to send word to Esau saying, hey, I come back home. Look, I, I have a family now. I have possessions. I have all these great things. Well, Esau's kind of holding a grudge. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. I don't know if you've ever had like an awkward family moment where maybe something was said that shouldn't have been said, or there's kind of something we're not talking about, and it's kind of icy. This is a little beyond icy. This is Esau saying, I have 400 men, and I'm going to kill you. Um, that's, an, that's an awkward family moment, if there ever was. And so there's this messenger who come back and tells Jacob, hey, here's what's going on. Jacob has a very quick, visceral response that is classic Jacob. He says in verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. He basically says, they can't kill us all. So if, we, if you, half of you go this way, half of you go that, that way, we'll see them attack you and the other people can run. They can't, they can't kill us all. Which again, if I was in his family, this wouldn't feel like a very courageous move. So here it is, again, Jacob, instead of relying on God's design or God's blessing or God's commands, he tries to outwit the situation. He has an angel army with him. I mean, think about it. If, if there was an army of angels with you, and you would actually name that place two camps because of that miraculous intervention, you would think you would have some courage. But again, Jacob is a lot like us, where we quickly forget what God has already shown us, and we go back to our wits. But then again, Jacob, you're going to see this, this theme. He kind of pings and pongs back and forth between trust and fear. Verse 9 says, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who has said to me. So he remembers what God said to him a while ago. He said, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I cross this Jordan and now I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. 
that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Jacob remembers the promise God has made. Just like we go back to the Bible to remember what God has said, Jacob remembers, and for a moment he's back in a moment of faith. This is this beginning of this wrestling match that he has with God. It's not a physical wrestling match yet, and it's about to be, but it's a mental and it's emotional and it's a spiritual wrestling match with God. And right now, Jacob is just relying on himself. But he goes back to the scripture to remember what he has. I think for some of us, we're more like Jacob than we'd like to admit. Like when we've read this story, at moments we've said like, oh, I would never do that. Then there are moments in Jacob's story where we're going, oh, that's, that's like me. And that's, that's not a great look. And I think for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, this is a particular struggle. So like, you know, sometimes if you're kind of a newer Christian, you're like, oh, I'm just learning some of these things, and you kind of give yourself a path. But for some of us who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, we go, wait a minute. Why, why am I still struggling with this sin? Shouldn't that be done by now? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I know better? Or, you know, the, the things of loving other people. Like, I should, I, should, I should have this down. I know I'm supposed to do this. And we even see Paul later in the New Testament, like, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. I think for some of us as Christians, we carry this around going, wait a second. Why am I constantly kind of bouncing back and forth? We see Jacob, so this, this term, two camps, is actually very true of ourselves. We have this dual nature, these two camps in our lives. We're one moment, we're relying on God, and then the next moment, it just feels like out of nowhere, we're relying on ourselves, we're relying on the ways of the world. So, in verse 13, it says this, he starts to rely on his wits again. He says, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he'd had with a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, well, they belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed in the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Behold, your, Jake, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he rose the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Not his best moment. Jacob, knowing full well that his brother wants to kill him, sends his family as a bribe. Not just the possessions. He sends his servants and his wives, and his kids 
and he stays back. I don't know about you, but like for me as a, as a guy and, and wanting to be a, like a protector of my family, this, just, this would be an ultimate low. I mean, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, he's going to kill me. So guess what? Instead of me going first and even presenting a bribe, I'm going to send you all in waves. And I'm going to see what his response is. This is a, this is a low point, for ja- even for Jacob. This would be like if I got into like some kind of fight at a biker bar, and I turned to Nikki and the two girls and say, hey, why don't you go in, buy them a round of beers, and you tell me how they respond. This is what Jacob does. And what we're going to see, though, is Jacob, in a way, at his lowest moment, this is where God's going to intervene. And sometimes in our lowest moments, that's where God needs to show up and he has to show up because he has to get through to us. So it said in verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled him with him until daybreak. Oh, wait, just think about this. He's at his lowest moment. God, we're going to find this out, has to find a way to get through to Jacob. And the only way he gets through with him is physically manifesting himself to wrestle with Jacob. And he says, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Jacob was alone, probably feeling desperate, probably feeling ashamed of himself. And like God goes like all WWE on Jacob. Like not just like, like slightly wrestling, dislocates his hip which had to be incredibly powerful, incredibly violent for that to happen. We don't know all that much about the confrontation. We know that Jacob for sure didn't realize that it was God at this moment. So he's just wrestling a dude. And again, Jacob shows his stubbornness that it's all night. Like, I get tired after, like, wrestling two minutes with our dog. Um, I can't imagine, you know, wrestling with someone overnight. Um, Jacob is stubborn, but eventually this person overpowers Jacob. And this, this is, to me, one of the most fascinating parts of the story is how God winds up redeeming Jacob. It says, but he said, I will not let go unless you bless me. So Jacob talks to this person and says, I, I need your blessing. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So at some point, Jacob realizes who this is. He realizes this is God in, in some form. Probably when he got his hip dislocated. That's probably a good indication it was God. But this whole time, his whole life, Jacob's been wrestling with God. Always been a metaphorical wrestling, but it's this constant battle. So Jacob, again, his own life has been ping-ponging back and forth between, hey, God, I, I trust your promises. No, I trust myself. Okay, this is what you said I should do. Well, wait a minute. I could figure this out for myself. And Jacob's not getting it that he's supposed to be fully dependent on God. And in this moment of physical desperation and exhaustion, God doesn't condemn Jacob here 
believe it or not. He doesn't heap shame on him. He has to help him figure something out. He says, what's your name? Jacob has to confess something. He has to confess. He's been living up to his name. He says, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I am a con man. When he finally gets to that moment of actual submission, God doesn't say, I told you so. He doesn't add more rules. He doesn't heap on guilt. He says, that was your name. Your name is now something different. The name, your name shall be Israel, and your children's name will be Israel. And your name means you have wrestled with God. And this is a very freeing moment for Jacob because he's no longer going to be defined. He's not perfect from there on out, but what he's defined now is by truly wrestling with God and not relying on his own abilities. And I think we have kind of this idea of wrestling with God as this kind of terrible, like, like he, he's here to judge us. And I really want to, to help us get away from that that God loves Jacob here in this moment. He does what he has to do to get through to Jacob. Um, we were talking about this. Is it's more like, kind of like a coach who sees more out of someone and sees better for them and kind of has to push them to an, an end. Like in that movie Miracle with the USA hockey team, how the coach just runs them into the ground, they skate into the ground, and they set a moment of physical exhaustion one of them finally figures out that they've been playing for themselves and, you know, I play for the United States of America, and then, it's, and then it's over. God sometimes has to push us to a point where we finally get it. And it's not harsh, and it's not because he's critical. He just knows that we can do better and that there's better for us. So this is where, in the, if you're talking about a superhero origin story, Jacob makes the turn. Just like Tony Stark was no longer Tony Stark, he's Iron Man. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. You are the one who would wrestle with God. And that, in the end, is actually Jacob's blessing. I know there's the blessings of the descendants and all that, but what really Jacob needed was the blessing of a, a new identity. So this is where Jacob's at now. He's at the start of a, a new identity. So what does that mean for us? How do we apply this to our lives? And like I said earlier, I think we're more like Jacob than we want to admit. I think a lot of us, when we come to crossroads in our lives and decisions and dilemmas in our lives, we have one of two responses typically kind of out of our flesh and out of our weakness. Um, first one is because of pride, we try to outwit or outwork our problems. Jacob, you know, deceived his brother, his dad, his uncle. Um, and he just kept on trying it on his own wits. And I think, especially for those of you who have high capacity, this is a quick one to go to. Um, I think this is kind of, if I were to be honest, kind of a Minnesota th way of doing things, which is, I'm going to outlist my problems. I have a problem, I have a dilemma, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to figure it out. And the problem is, for some of you who are high-capacity people, 
This actually can work to a degree. Some of you are incredibly bright. You come from good families. You're, you're intelligent. And you can outwork some of your problems. You can outwit some of your problems. But it only can go so far. And the truth is, sometimes even the most intelligent people and the highest capacity people don't see their own vulnerabilities. They don't see their own weaknesses. And so sometimes the problems that we're always trying to manage, there's things that we're at fault at. And we have to stop and admit um, our, our pride and that we don't have it all figured out. Second, there's a second group of people. Because of fear, we try to outrun our problems. Jacob does this as well. Oh, I got a problem, um, and I don't know what to do. Boom, I'm gone. I'm gone. Now, some of us don't physically outrun our problems. We ignore our problems. We throw media at our problems. We keep ourselves just super busy so we don't have to deal with it. And we keep ourselves busy, and we just don't want to deal with it. And I just want to have you take a moment and just soak in kind of which one are you. Um, I tend to be an outwork um, person. I, I, I want to, like, figure it out. Like, I'll stay up all night, and I'm like, okay, I'm going okay, to create a list. Who do I need to call? What do I need to do? And that's my first response. Instead of stopping and just saying, hey, God, if there's anything that I need to do different, or if there's anything you're trying to teach me, I'm going to stop before I try to work this out. So then you know that's kind of, kind of where I fall. And so as I read the story of Jacob, I came up just with a really simple idea. It sounds simplistic, but it's actually incredibly powerful for me. And our big idea of the day is, if we wrestle with God, our faith will be made stronger. And as Mark and I were talking through the big idea, I originally had the word when, because I like to be positive, thinking that people are going to do this naturally, that, hey, when we do it. And I think that word if is actually more powerful because that's really the, the dilemma is if we wrestle with God. A lot of us don't take the time to do this. Some of us are trying to avoid the things uh, that we need to deal with. Um, and to overcome these things, we actually have to wrestle with God. And so I started thinking, okay, what are the things we actually have to wrestle with? What are the actual practical things that we have to wrestle with life? So I kind of came up with three categories, and there's things that fall underneath these categories, but these are the three main categories. Number one, we, we wrestle and struggle with our own sin. I mean, it should be pretty obvious. There's things in our nature, there's things because of the fall that are part of who we are that we're going to continue to sin and we're going to struggle with sin. Now, as followers of Christ, our identity should be first as followers of Christ, and that's who we are. We are children of God, but we still have sin we need to struggle with. And so if we were all to admit we all still sin. Second, we struggle with the pain or sin caused by others. There are things that have been done to us. There has been trauma created in our lives that is from the sin of others. And we struggle with that, and it starts to affect our relationship with God. Hey, God, if this person did this in my life that I trusted, how can I trust you? Or I have this pain and it's so hurt, it affects my relationship. It affects my decisions. So there is trauma and pain and sin that has an effect 
on us that are caused by others. And the third category, and this is a tough category, we struggle with the consequences of living in a fallen world. The truth is there are things in this world that aren't going to be rectified until Jesus comes back. There's injustice in the world. There's disease. Our bodies fall apart. There are just consequences of living in a fallen world that we have to wrestle through. God, if you're fair, why does this happen? And there's these questions of doubt. There's these questions of just uncomfortability of living in a fallen world. We want things to be perfect. We want things to be at peace. And we live in a fallen world and those things aren't. So those are the three categories. And I I think that almost all the struggles that we have in our lives kind of fit under one of those three categories. And just for a moment, I want you to think about kind of where is your main wrestling match right now? Is there an area of sin that you've just avoided for a long time? Or you're currently working through that you need to find support? Is there a relationship that has gone south or maybe something from your childhood that there's been a trauma that has been affecting you that you kind of need to deal with, the, the pain and hurt caused by someone? Or is there just something in your life that just doesn't sit right, that you haven't completely fleshed out of the consequences of living in a fallen world? And so I identified, okay, here are the things we need to wrestle with, but there's also the question of how. How do we wrestle with God? And I kind of came up with some very practical things that we can do to wrestle with God. Number one, be engaged in the spiritual disciplines, namely study of the Bible and pray. That one of the ways that we wrestle with God is his word. His word is the truth, and those truths can be uncomfortable truths or harsh truths or necessary truths, but we actually have to wrestle with it. If we're not actually regular in the Bible, we're not having to create any cognitive dissonance. We don't have to create any tension. We don't have to be confronted with truths in our lives if we're avoiding the word. A good sign that you're running is the fact that you're not in the word or you're not engaged in prayer with God and honest dialogue with God. Second, participate in authentic biblical community. What typically happens, and this is happening actually in my small group and it's happening, I think, in a lot of small groups here at Pursuit, is people are saying, here's my wrestling match. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's my doubt. Here's my anxiety. Here's the pain that has been caused in my life. And when we see someone else be that vulnerable, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm not the only one who struggles. And it kind of like builds on, on each other. And you find support. And you find truth. And you find wisdom. And you find accountability. And you find encouragement. But there's some of us who, again, out of pride or fear, don't want to be involved in authentic community because that means, well, there's going to be some things exposed in your life that you don't want to have exposed. Or there might be some trauma that you have to deal with that you've created layers to, to not deal with. Participating in authentic communi- community is a form of wrestling with God. And third, this is, this is actually one of these things that, again, is very un-Minnesotan. Don't pull your emotional punches with God. Uh, there's this balancing act in Christianity of we want to be reverent towards God. We want to be able to give him respect and worship. But he also asks us to be authentic with him. And, again, we don't always do authenticity well, and we kind of pull our emotional punches with God. I think most of us feel comfortable bringing God our joys and the good things in our lives and praises and thanksgiving, and we should, and we can. But we also, he asks us to bring the negative stuff. 
If you have anxiety, we can cast those towards him. If we are angry with God or we have doubts, we can share our doubts with God and we can be completely honest with him. He can handle it. And also, we know full well that we can bring all of our negative emotions to God because Jesus did. The night before Jesus was crucified, just before what we celebrated for communion, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says this in Matthew. In, in, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. That's not normally two words that, again, we attach to Jesus. He was fully struggling with his humanity. He was grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And went a little beyond and fell on his face and prayed. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet it is not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is struggling with his humanity and he knows the fate before him and he doesn't pull any of his emotional punches with God. He not only is being completely honest with God the Father, he actually asks for it to pass three different times. Not just once, twice, three different times he asks for the cup to be passed. But at the end, Jesus had to even himself come to a conclusion. All right, I shared my emotions with you, God. I shared those, but you're still asking me to do it. He needed to submit. He needed to submit to the will of the Father. And so I kind of have a tag to the big idea of the day. If we wrestle with God, our faith will be stronger. A sign of that strength is submission. Submission is one of those words that we do not tend to like as a culture. Submission means that we show that we're weak. I submit, I tap out. Those of us who probably don't like that. Submission also means giving up control. And for those who have been affected by trauma and hurt and pain caused by others, we don't like to give up control. We want, to, we want to be in charge. And submission is this terrible word. But in the end, Jacob had to go through this. Jesus had to go through this. That in the end, we can wrestle with God. But at the end, the ultimate thing will be submission. So I have been going through this story of myself of wrestling with God. As Mark said, we worked at Grace Together and for a variety of reasons, I had to step back from ministry, and I wanted to grow as a leader. So I went to school, uh, went back, got a master's degree. Um, I tried to improve myself as a leader by putting myself in different environments. And I came to the end of it, and I'm like, all right, God, what's the big next occupational step? What do you have for my, my career? What's my next ministry step? And his answer so far has been painting and sheetrocking. And, I, and great, I've gotten good at the craft. I, there's things I enjoy about it. It's been good. But I'm like, I, th- I thought there was a, a, a plan. I, I, I thought there was a ministry plan, God. Like, this wasn't the trajectory I had. And a couple of different moments, I have been disgruntled with God. I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I've had to wrestle with this, and I've had to wrestle with my attitude each day. And it doesn't, actually it hasn't got at, better, I still had to wrestle with this, which is each day I have to wake up, go to work, and, and, and wrestle with God, which is, if you have eyes for people, ministry will happen. The days that I've wrestled with that 
have been the best days. I've had to listen to people. There's been ministry opportunities. Miraculous things have happened. The days that I'm complacent or the days I just like want to ignore it are the days I have a bad attitude and I'm not at peace and I feel like I'm kind of walking away from God. So each morning it's been a wrestling match and I have to wrestle through it. And I still don't have a complete answer. It's not done yet. I'm not done yet. But I've had to wrestle with it. As a final point, let you know there's a reminder that was sent to Jacob. It says this, So Jacob named the place Paniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel and was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is the socket on the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of his hip. From then on, Jacob had a limp. And that was a blessing for Jacob. Because if you think about it, every time he walked and there was that pain, it was a reminder of the dependency on God and where he needed to put his faith. Some of you are walking with a limp. It might not be a physical limp. It's an emotional limp. It's a spiritual limp. It's a relational limp. It's a reminder to you that it's not going to be about your strength. It's going to be about God's strength. And that's a blessing for you if you can see it that way. Second, he gives a reminder to the nation of Israel that every time they cut up an animal, there was a certain part of the the body they weren't supposed to use as a reminder of what happened to Jacob. The truth is, we can not have to wrestle as hard as Jacob had to wrestle. We can actually learn from the mistakes of others, by the way. It is possible to learn from others. And this, again, will come back to community. The more I watch and am involved in biblical community, I'm like, oh, that is an incredibly valuable lesson. You learn that the hard way. I don't want to learn it that way. <laughs> I want to learn it before it happens to me. And there's a great wisdom in learning from the wrestling matches of others. So again, coming into this fall, if you're not in biblical community, if you're not in authentic community, join a small group. Because that is one of the best ways to learn about your brokenness, but also learn from the brokenness of others. So again... So come back to that word, if. If we wrestle with God, our faith will be made stronger. A sign of that strength is submission. And to end, I want to just highlight one ministry area. We have a prayer team that is available every week. That is your chance to cry out if you need to. Sometimes if we cry out on our own, we just don't have quite enough courage to just do that on our own. We don't have the words for it. There is a group of people every week that if you have a problem, if you have a dilemma, if you have some trauma in your life, or if you just don't know what your next step is, that's a great group of people to pray with. Because that means that you're starting the wrestling. Just, just admit, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Here's where I need prayer. And then maybe they have a step for you. So if you haven't gone to the prayer team, or if there's something that you have in your heart right now, They'll be available after the service, but guess what? They're available after every service. 
They're a great group just to start wrestling with God. And as a whole, this is at the heart of pursuit, community church. Pursuit is an active term. We pursue God. We wrestle with God. That is the heart of who we are. We are not going to be complacent. We are not going to be idle. We are not going to let things slide. We are going to pursue Jesus, and we are going to, out of that relationship, pursue others. At the heart of pursuit is this story, that almost all the leaders that I've talked to, all the people who have made changes here at pursuit, have had to be a point of being humbled enough to admit, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need to pursue God. And out of that brokenness and out of that submission, there is great power. And Jacob, we'll find out as we recap next week, there is great power that happens after this story of Jacob submitting to wrestling match. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you keep pursuing us, that you're willing to go, go after us. And thank you the fact that we can be completely open and vulnerable and share ourselves with you. And thank you that, again, the ultimate wrestling match was won by you at the cross. That our sins, even though we didn't deserve it, was taken out on your son, Jesus Christ. But then he showed victory over sin. And we can live free. But we need to be wrestling with you and we need to be wrestling with these issues. So help us to do that. And if there are people in this room who have, again, experienced hurt and pain and trauma in their life, um, that makes it really difficult to trust you. May they bring those things to you and maybe bring that to others. And help us, God, to be a church that is known for pursuing you and wrestling um, with your truth. Thank you for this time. Your son, Jesus' name. Amen.